Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for songs, prayers, scripture readings. Bless our heart. Get our focus upon you. Father, we thank you so much for baptisms. All of these signs, these evidences of grace that you are working around us. Father, we pray that every bit of those experiences would be met with and matched with the truth of your word, that we would not seek to be people who just know life from our experiences, but our experiences connected to the truth of your word. So, Father, now we look to it. We ask your blessing on it, God, that you would help us to hear it and see it and understand it, God, and we pray that you would give us faith to believe it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn the Bible back to the book of Philemon. We've been there now. This will be our fourth week. The small little letter to Philemon. If you didn't bring a pew Bible, uh, or if you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the pew Bible there. It's page 1099, I believe, 1099. It's the last of Paul's letters. It is before the book of Hebrews. It is after 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus. Philemon is a small book, so small that there are only... Verses, there are not even chapters. Three weeks ago, I preached from the book of Philemon, and I talked about how it's a story, awesome story, uh, about a runaway guy who needs to be sent back, but God changes his life, and Paul is now sending him back to where he's from. And I talked about how this story uh, talks about how everybody has a story, and you'll remember that I said God writes your story through four different circumstances, people, places, pains, and providence. If you will look at those four areas of your life, you will see how God is shaping you and your story. The week after that, we looked at this idea of being fresh and refreshing and being refreshed, and that comes from the book of Philemon as well. And then last week, we looked at the power of the gospel to truly make a change, the power of Jesus in somebody's life, the grace of God, the presence of God, the the gospel truths are truly life-changing. We looked at that as we observed this whole story, imagine of somebody stealing and running away and being found out and then giving his life to Christ, Christ changing him, and then him being sent back or asked to go back and just confess his sins, go back to the person he stole from and admit that. Powerful, powerful stuff, but it only makes sense if Jesus is Lord and if people offer up forgiveness. If forgiveness is a real thing, then you will have powerful stories. And if there is no real forgiveness coming from God and therefore in the midst of us in our relationships, then this whole idea of God being real, this truth of God changes people falls short. We must see the evidence and grace of God at work in people's lives. And we looked at that last week. Today I want to do something even a little bit more different. I want us to look at the end of Philemon. The last three verses. It's just a list of names for the most part, but I don't want you to miss it. The Bible does this a lot, lists names, and I'm sure many of you have just looked over it or ignored it or skipped it before when you see a list of names. I know we've all gotten to where we just want a Bible verse a day sent to our phone or perhaps pop up in our social media in hopes that it would be inspirational to us. 
And that hardly gets at reading the Bible for what we want God to tell us. When, it's that, and when that's all the type of reading we're doing, we never pick up on a list of names. I remember being in high school a long time ago as I graduated high school in 1998. I don't remember much, but I do remember some of the influences that a couple of coaches had on me. And even to this day, I cannot overstate how valuable that influence was. One, because this particular coach expected so much from me. Even now, as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, as somebody who wants to make a difference in a community, I often think about the coach who impacted me so much and the huge expectations he had on me. It was his high expectations, him pushing me, his, him, him taking nothing less from me that still to this day impacts my life. And I thank God for that. I think of another coach who was never actually my coach, but he was a coach there, and I had a relationship with him. And I remember his sense of humor. I remember that he loved to run. He would run during his planning period. I remember that he would stay in his sweaty clothes the rest of the day after running, and everybody would make fun of him because he would, he would stink and he would smell like sweat as he taught the rest of the day, and he would just laugh about it. But I'll never forget, he would always say, he taught history, social studies, and he would always tell his classes, he'd always say, you know, this stuff's important, but it's not that important that I'm teaching y'all. It's not what you know, it's who you know. He would tell us that all the time. We'd be studying history and the way government works and all that, and he'd say, you know, this stuff's important, but it's not that important. Life's not about what you know, it's about who you know. Who is speaking to people? I've never forgotten him saying that. I don't know if he realizes the impact that that had on my life, but I still think about it often. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And today, I want to preach a sermon to you from the end of Philemon the whole time that will get you thinking about people, the people in your life and the people, by the grace of God, if there are some, that you are in their lives. And this is what we're getting at here. It's not what you know, it is who you know. Read with me from the end of Philemon, verse 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. In so many ways, this is just a simple ending, right? It's just the closing of the letter, breeze right through it. He could have just said, from Paul, God bless you. He could have put, like we do, sincerely, Josh, or with deepest regards, or with all sincerity, or dearly, or something like that, and just ended it, but he didn't. He included five people, some you may be familiar with, some you have no idea who it is, but he puts their name there, and I think it's for our instruction. I want to remind you that every single word, every single letter, every single jot and tittle, I think Jesus would teach us, of the Word of God is inspired by God, breathed out by God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you and I would hold it in our hand as the authoritative Word from God. So we are to understand that even little things like that, even conclusions and closing of letters are for our good and for our instruction that the man of God may be complete. 
So with that in mind, I want to give you several points today. The first is that people matter. That's a simple point, come on. But I want it to weigh on you. When there are seven billion people on earth, it seems like we'd, 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 we'd be all right if we did away with a few, doesn't it? It seems like, hey, there's so many people, I mean, I, who knows? Right? When there are a thousand people in your high school, it's easy to overlook a couple, right? When there's hundreds or hundreds of people that live on your street, right, or you've got thousands of friends on social media, it's easy to think, well, I don't know them. They're not that big of a deal. But I want to show you from the scriptures today, from God's word, that people matter. People are significant. People are important. You see this in the fact that he writes this simple letter, right? He's got longer letters. Paul wrote 13 letters here in the New Testament. You have Romans, 16 chapters, right? 1 Corinthians, long. 2 Corinthians, long. You have all of these different books, and he's writing all these letters. He's dealing with all of these different situations. And then you've got this little book, Philemon, here. It's so short, there aren't even chapters. It's one issue with Onesimus and Philemon and Paul. Paul writes to Philemon about a sin issue with Onesimus. Why has he got to bring everybody else into it? Well, for Paul, people matter. That's why he names these people at the end. Out of his 13 letters, he does this quite often. In seven of his 13 letters, he does this. And if you'll bear with me, I want you to follow along. So turn back a little bit to the book of Romans, chapter 16. I just want you to see this. I want to point out to you that people matter. I'm going to assume that you've heard of Mark and Luke but you may not have heard of Epaphras, you may not have heard of Aristarchus, and you may not have heard of Demas, the five names at the end of Philemon. But I want us now to look at Romans. Look at the end of Romans, long letter. Many have said that Romans is the greatest theological work ever written. Paul explains the, the detail of the saving work of Christ, the salvation message, the gospel message, in the first 9, 10, 11, 12 chapters in Romans, and the, the, the rest of the book is dealing with a little bit more practical stuff. The book of Romans is absolutely loaded. It's got some deep stuff in it. But even here, at the end of Romans, he does the same thing. Look at chapter 16, verse 3. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life. To whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Apinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Statius. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ 
greet you. People matter. These are not people that you and I know. And just as a quick little side note, don't think they had weird names back then. Be educated enough to know it's a different language, all right? They think y'all's name's weird. We don't think their name's weird. We think it's a different language, okay? When somebody comes to our country and they're from a different place, they don't mean they have a weird name. It means they speak a different language than us, right? You can be sensitive enough to that, that can't you? We don't want everybody named Joe, Josh, John, and Jim, all right? We're thankful for these names here that I struggled through pronouncing. It just means it's a different language, and we're okay with that. We like that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Think about all these people. We've read the book of Romans so many times. Never even heard those names. People matter. Turn over to 1 Corinthians and go again to the end of it. 16 chapters, the very next book. The end of 1 Corinthians, chapter 16. Get to the very, very end. Look at verse 15. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Wow. Guys we've never heard of. Guys we've never recognized. He says to recognize. People matter. Turn over to 2 Corinthians, the end of it. We're going to go to the end every time. Turn over to 2 Corinthians to the very end of it. And we don't necessarily see the names here because it's the same as 1 Corinthians. You know that, right? It's a, another letter written to the same people. But at the end, verse 11, he says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. Paul, at the end of this letter where he is dealing with sin issues, he says aim for restoration, has the other people in mind. The next book is Galatians, the next is Ephesians, the next after that is Philippians. Turn to Philippians. The end of it, chapter 4. Chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 21, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. Look at this. Especially those of Caesar's household. Wow. Turn to the next book, Colossians, chapter 4. Chapter 4 of Colossians, verse 7. This is the passage that Josh Womble read in the middle of our service today. Tychicus will tell you, this is Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are 
and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. He goes on and on and then mentions Archippus again. But you see what I'm saying. We could go on. He does this in even more of his letters. He does it in 2 Timothy. He does it in Titus. You get to the end and he starts naming off all of these people. People that we're not necessarily familiar with. We know better the main characters. We don't necessarily know the ones that seem to be less significant. But what I want to point out to you is that him pointing them out shows that they matter to him. I would imagine that if you were visiting another church or you were somewhere else on the other side of town and bumped into some believers and you started talking about church and they said, where do you go to church? And you told them that you belong to this church here in Fairdale, that they, they may speak up and say, oh, I think I know somebody that goes there. And all of a sudden you may start putting the pieces together that there are people in your life that matter. This is what Paul wants us to see from the book of Philemon. I want to ask you how often you think like this, that people are matter, that people are significant, that this is common to Paul, normal to Paul. People matter to him. We would be thinking, why is he bringing this up now? But he is. And he lists off so many people. You realize here today that just because you don't know somebody or somebody doesn't know you or because uh, you don't love them or, or they don't love you or there's no relationship there, that it doesn't mean they're insignificant, right? You've all heard that great story of the man retired in Florida that loved to walk, loved to walk the, the beach every morning. You've heard that one, right? And this particular morning, the tide had come in really far and had washed up hundreds and hundreds of starfish. And there was a young boy out there that day who knew that if these starfish dried out, the starfish would die. You've heard this, right? The boy's picking up starfish and throwing them back, and he seems to have a bit of a, an urgency and even a, a sadness about him. The starfish were dying. And so the boy's wandering and scurrying and picking them up and throwing them back in, and the man that walks the beach every morning says, young man, you're wasting your time. It happens every morning. These starfish come in, man. There's so many, there's thousands of them, man. Just look up and down this coast. There's starfish everywhere. You're not going to make a difference. And the young boy looked back and said, threw another starfish and said, I made a difference in that one's life. Amen. People matter. You may not know who Demas or Epaphras or Aristarchus or Archippus is, but when Paul names them at the end of a letter, Paul's thinking, and they know who they are. When you've not been to church in a year, five years, or 10 years, or 20 years, and you show back up, or somebody else shows back up, and somebody remembers you, what an impact that makes. 
wow, they're still here. Wow, you still remember me. People matter. Can you imagine being at a church gathering? Remember, they, they often met in homes. Can you imagine being in a church gathering and a letter comes in from the Apostle Paul who's away in Rome, in prison for being a, a faithful witness to Jesus, and they say, hey, guys, it's going to be a special service today. We had a special service today with baptisms. We don't do it every Sunday. And they say, hey, it's going to be a special service today. We have a letter we just received from Tychicus. Tychicus was in Rome, and he just traveled back, and he brought a letter with him to us from the Apostle Paul. We're going to read it. Imagine reading through that letter and it gets to the end and he starts naming people. Man, that's encouraging. That's encouraging. Because people matter. Well, depending on how emotional you get or how frustrated you are or how burnt out you are, bitter you are, is how much you're embracing my suggestion that people matter. Let me tell you secondly that people matter because people have a story. We saw this at the beginning of Philemon. If I just said, man, you got this runaway slave, you got this guy who stole, you got this guy Onesimus here, this guy's a bum, man, he just be done with him, he's no good, you can't count on him, you can't, you can't trust him, he, he's a mess. If I'd have told you all that, then perhaps that would have been all we heard about Onesimus. But once we got into the story and you start hearing a little bit more about him, it changes things. I remember one time being at baseball practice. Listen to this. I remember one time being at baseball practice and there was a boy there that couldn't throw or catch. I remember coaches and remember I coached little kids, so not too high expectations. But I remember coaches and even parents and, and even other players going, I don't even know why he even comes, why he even plays or why he signs up. He doesn't know how to throw or catch. And I remember somebody speaking up going, doesn't have a mom or a dad. He's being raised by only his grandmother. It changes the way you view a kid that doesn't know how to throw and catch yet, doesn't it? No offense to grandmothers, but you know what I'm saying. It changes things. You start to get into somebody's story, and it's a little bit different. People matter because people have a story. We've already seen this in the book of Philemon. You've got Paul, the apostle, right? On the road to Damascus, Pharisee, Jew, hater of Christians, wanted to kill Christians. And then God comes to him. It's Acts chapter 6, 7, and 8. God comes to him and changes Saul's life, changes his name to Paul, says, Paul, you're going to be my apostle. I'm going to use you to reach the world. You're going to travel the world and tell people about Jesus and tell them how people have changed your life. That's Paul. So Paul's doing that. He gets arrested for it. He gets put in prison in Rome from which he's writing these letters. Philemon is somebody he knows who's a believer and a leader in Colossae, one of the leaders of the church there. And Onesimus is one who lives in his house and, in, and now has run away. That's the story of Philemon. We know their stories. But what about these people down here at the end? They have a story too. If you look deep enough, you can Figure it out. Epaphras, so look now at the end of Philemon. Epaphras in the Bible is located three times. Colossians 1, Colossians 4, and here in Philemon. Demas, three times. Colossians 4, 2 Timothy 4, and here in Philemon. Mark, eight times in the New Testament. Colossians 4, 2 Timothy 4, Acts 12, Acts 15, 1 Peter 5. Aristarchus, five times in the New Testament. Colossians 4, Philemon 24, Acts 19, Acts 20, Acts 27. Luke, who we know to be one of the main characters in the, in the book of Acts, 
Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and also wrote the book of Acts, some of the main characters there, he's always in the plural we in the book of Acts, traveling with Paul, but his name, Luke, only found three times in the New Testament. Colossians 4, 2 Timothy 4, and here in Philemon. They have a story, folks. And you read just a little bit, you'll start to understand. This guy, Epaphras, look what it says. At the end of Philemon, it says here, and there is a distinction, that Epaphras is a fellow prisoner in Christ. This guy, like Paul, is united with Paul, connected to Paul. He, too, has been put in prison on behalf of his faithful witness to Jesus. He doesn't say that about the other four. What does he call them? Fellow workers. They're believers, church leaders, those who are trying to make a difference, but they're not fellow prisoners. They're fellow workers. Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. What about Epaphras? What about him? You don't have to turn there. Just listen to me as I read to you from Colossians. The beginning of the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 7 says, Just as you learned the gospel from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. If you'll remember, Paul had not been to Colossians. He had not planted that church. It was Epaphras. This guy he names here on so many levels is like one of the most influential leaders to that church of the Colossians. See, we tend to just automatically default into Paul. He's that one, and he was the apostle. But Epaphras was that guy. He had been teaching them. He had spent Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. He had been at their deathbeds. He had been at their births. He had been at their lives. He had been when people are sick. He had been at their funerals. He had buried people. He had been in their lives. This is Epaphras. When he writes a letter to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus and he names Epaphras, everybody's ears and eyes are open. Okay, Epaphras knows about this situation too. Epaphras' life has a story. What about Mark? You know Mark, right? He wrote the second gospel. His name's John, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is Mark. Well, did you know that Mark used to travel with Paul on his missionary journeys? At Acts chapter 12, listen to this. At Acts chapter 12, it tells us That as Saul and Barnabas were traveling, they're starting their missionary journeys, Mark was there. Mark was friends with them. Mark was a cousin to Barnabas, as it says. But then you get over to Acts chapter 15, it tells us this. Listen up. This is Acts chapter 15. You may have never heard this before. Listen up. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Barnabas says, okay, let's take Mark with us. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So there was a trip they did before where Mark said, I'm not going with y'all. We don't exactly know why, but Mark said no. So now Paul says to Barnabas, no, he's not going with us. He didn't want to go with us then. He's not going to go with us now. Now listen to this next verse. This is in your Bible. Acts chapter 15, verse 39. 
And there arose a sharp disagreement. Does everybody hear that? There arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. So much so that Barnabas kept Mark and he went his way to Cyprus. So Paul takes Silas and he goes this way. And they go in different directions. That's Mark. Well, you keep going, you get much later in the New Testament, and guess what? Mark and Paul are back together. You know what that means? It means they got over it. It means they worked it out. It means that there was restoration. Remember what he said to the Corinthians? Aim for restoration. Do you realize that if you start looking at our lives, y'all, we've got a story I'm sure I've hurt your feelings before. I'm sure you've been disappointed with me. I hope that doesn't have a fallout. It's unbelievable how many Christian people, church people, people of God have falling out. I don't talk to this person, don't visit this person, don't want to see this person. What kind of a story is that? That's a bad story. What we have here, at the end of Philemon, we have names of people, Epaphras, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and they're people that matter, and they're people that matter because their lives are telling a story. What about this guy, Demas? I'm sure you've heard this one before. It's pretty popular, but listen to Demas' story. Demas here is a fellow worker. At the end of Colossians, listen to what it says about him. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. So that church in Colossae knows Demas. They love him, they welcome him, it says that Demas does, but listen to this, if you've never heard this one before, you might want to write this down, 2 Timothy chapter 4, one of the saddest verses. Paul, at the end of Timothy, says, do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. You ever heard that before? If you didn't ever look up Demas, you didn't know that. Second Timothy, we believe, is the last of the letters that he wrote. The last that we hear about Demas is he's no longer there. In love with the present world, he gave up on it or gave up on Paul. I do want to say that doesn't necessarily mean that he quit the faith and quit believing. Maybe he just quit wanting to be a missionary, and that's enough to discourage Paul. We don't have a whole lot of information there. But here's my point. I want you to see... The people's lives have a story to them. And had you just read these names here and not ever looked at it, you'd just think, just a list of names I don't know. And have you just walked down the sidewalk or just always pulled in your driveway or into your apartment and never actually looked or met your neighbors, you're not going to know their story. And oftentimes when we don't know their story, then people don't matter to us the way they ought to. This is the truth. There's an article that came out this past week Fascinating numbers. An article that came out this past week that says, in a survey of thousands and thousands and thousands of Americans, 50% of all Americans say that they are always lonely. 50% of Americans say they are always lonely. You think people don't matter? We need people in our lives. Paul gets this, so he starts naming random people that we don't necessarily know, but they do at the end of his letters. We need people in our lives. People matter. People have a story. Next, so 
We must view people as Philemon's letter challenges us to from a gospel perspective. We must. You must not look at people the way everybody else does. You, may not, you must not look at people the way you were raised to if you weren't raised in that good, godly, biblical, Christ-honoring way. We must view people the way God would have us to view people from that gospel perspective. You remember last week when I gave you the story of Onesimus and I just said rather bluntly, most people think this is ridiculous to extend out grace and forgiveness from Philemon to Onesimus in this story, but not those that understand the cross. Not the people like us here today, I pray, who understand that we are the worst of sinners we are the ones who have sinned against God. I'm not worried about everybody else's sin. I'm worried about my own sin. And I need forgiveness from God. You need forgiveness from God. And so we're not worried about everybody else's. We're worried about our own hearts. And so what we do is we look to God and we hear God say that he made us, that he knows us deeply. He sees every single thing that we do. Nothing about us is hidden from God. His eyes are on us. And yet God says that we have sinned against him. He doesn't look at us and say, you're so great and so lovely. I just love you so much. He doesn't. He looks at you, puts you straight in the face, straight in the eyes and says, you're flawed. You have your issues, but I still love you. And I made you. And I'm sending my son to die for you on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, he was opening up the doorway to heaven. He was building the bridge to heaven. He was making it so that anybody flawed, anybody sinful, anybody needy could be right with God. And anybody who says, God, I need forgiveness. God, I admit that I've sinned. God, I need your mercy in my life. God, forgive me of my sins. Anybody that believes that Jesus died for their sins and God raised him up will be forgiven of their sins and right with God. That's what the Bible teaches, that God loves everybody in their sins and they can be forgiven of their sins. If you don't need Jesus, you won't be forgiven of your sins. If you don't think you've sinned, you won't be forgiven of your sins. If you think you're good, you won't be forgiven of your sins. But if you believe that God loves you in your sins and that Jesus died for your sins, then God will forgive you of your sins and it is only people that are forgiven that will be in a right relationship with God. Sin will keep you from a relationship with God. But this is the awesome promise that the Bible gives us. This is why we read it and we study it. This is why a book like Philemon, small as can be, can be so incredibly powerful because that gospel truth, that good news, that grace and forgiveness is available because of what Jesus did on the cross is a real thing. And if you know it from God, may the grace of God empower you to view people that way. No matter who it is, God made them. No matter who it is, God loves them. No matter who it is, God sent Jesus to die for them. No matter who it is, they need to experience love from us. No matter who it is, God's great commandment is still to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. No matter who it is, people matter. And in understanding that, it changes, it truly changes the way we look at people. This, in many ways, is the very most beautiful concept of church. We are so honest about we don't have a lot in common. There should be young people here going, man, a lot of old people here. And there should be old people here going, man, these young people these days, right? 
And there should be kids running around and us going, man, those kids are loud and disruptive and all of that. And there should be people here going, man, these people are new. I don't even know who these people are. There should be all of that weird and awkwardness in church. There should be. You know what's the only thing that brings the connections together, what we want? Jesus. The love and grace and forgiveness offered in God is now by the power of God being extended to each one of us. And I realize you might be UK fans and I still love you. Because of Jesus at work in our lives. And this is not a joke. This is literally how we are to view people. So that everybody that we encounter, we're thinking, what's God doing in their life? So you bump into somebody at the gas station. It's not, get out of my way. I'm in a hurry. I wonder what God's doing in their life. I wonder what's their story. They matter. Sometimes it's hard to think that way, but that's the way God would have us to think. And we know that not everybody thinks that way. We realize that people are judgmental and they have their stereotypes. We realize that, that racisms and extremes and hatred are real things. We realize that people are prideful and puffed up. But we, believers in Christ, are to be those who are looking at people the way we know that God has extended his look to us. And we want to view people from that gospel perspective. Almost every afternoon when I pull up here to church and from being somewhere, there are kids in the back playing basketball almost every day, and we love that. I hear of these churches that try to take their rim down every night so people don't play on it. I don't understand it. We put the rim up so people would play on it. You see those kids playing back there, and I think, wow. And every once in a while, it'll be kids that I know, but if it looks like some people that I haven't ever met before, sometimes I'll walk back there. And I hate it when it's a day that I'm dressed like this because it really doesn't look good to see a bunch of sweaty people playing basketball, and here comes a guy walking up in pants like he's not asking to play. But just about a month ago, I went back there. There's about five kids hanging out, and they had their bikes there and everything, and Polar Pop cups were all over the place. And I went back there, and... You could tell they were nervous, and they started speaking up like, oh, no, what's up, man? It's all good. How are you doing today, sir? I said, my name's Josh. What are, what are y'all's names? And we started talking, and they were nervous. I said, man, I got a lot of drinks inside. What, what can I get y'all? We got some Gatorades. We got some waters, Cokes, Big Reds. What would y'all like? And they said, are you serious? I said, Yeah. I kid you not, that's what he said. He said, man, we're used to being run off everywhere we go. Don't get me wrong, some kids need to be run off. I'm not saying you shouldn't. If they're in your backyard without asking, run them off. Maybe. But you know what I'm saying. Kids on bikes playing basketball, there's got to be somewhere to play, right? It's not a crime to do that. And if the church people can't even love on them, this is the type of mindset that starts thinking people matter. They've got a story. Wonder what God's doing in their hearts. Wonder where they came from. Wonder what's happening. Wonder what's bothering them. 
If you struggle with depression and you struggle with anxiety and you struggle with anger and you struggle with hatred and you struggle with lust and you fight with your parents and you struggle in school and you struggle with this and you struggle with that, guess what? People do too. And it's not easy to deal with. Guess who should be the ones who are helping people? The ones who love people. The ones who get people. The ones who believe from God Almighty that people matter. You start reading the New Testament, you know the big names. Paul, Peter, James, John, you know those. But what you'll also find is a list and lists and lists of people that you've never heard of. They matter. Their lives have a story. And God wants us to view these people from a gospel perspective. Do you realize that God still gives us the promise that anybody that believes in him will be saved from their sins. Do you realize that anybody anywhere that hears about Jesus can say, God, I need you to forgive me of my sins. And God, I want you to forgive me of my sins. And I trust in Christ. Do you realize that anybody anywhere can know Jesus. People matter. Now along these lines, the last thing I want to point out is this. We need people in our lives. This is not just a sermon. I really didn't want it to go in the direction of just trying to hammer on y'all to love the outcast. That's not what I want this to be. I want it to be that you're seeing here from the book of Philemon that people matter, and so you want to be somebody who understands that. And so in your life, there will be an Epaphras. There will be a Demas. There will be a Aristarchus. There will be a mark. There, will be, there are going to be people in your lives that are maybe a little bit further along than you, that you kind of look up to, that you ask questions to, that you admire, that you kind of say, man, I kind of like the way they parent. I want to parent like them. I kind of like the way he treats his wife. And I want to treat my wife like that. And I kind of like the way he works hard with his hands. And I want to be like that. I kind of, uh, people that you look up to. But there's also going to be people in your life like Demas. They're struggling, they're up and down, they're in and out, they're in, in love with the present world currently, and, and it's burdening your heart, and, and Paul's grieved over that, so much so that he writes that to Timothy. There are going to be people in your life that hurt your heart, that you're praying for every day, that you're up early, that you're writing letters to. There are going to be people in your life like Mark that you used to have a beef with, that man, you're so thankful for the grace of God, you, you handled it God's way. There are going to be people in your life that... You've had to go to and say, hey, can, can we talk for a minute? I owe you a sincere apology. That was my fault. I was wrong. And it's been eating me up. And I need you to forgive me. And I know that I can ask God to forgive me, but I need you to forgive me too. Y'all, this is just the names in Philemon. And we read all of those, but I'm getting all of this from right there. Then you got this guy, Luke, that Paul's with all the time. It's Paul's personal doctor. It's Paul's missionary traveling guy. That's Luke. Luke was scholarly, and he was a doctor, and he went with Paul everywhere he went. He had been through all the trips. He had been with Paul, shipwreck and all of that. That's Luke. You got some people in your life 
that you're going to ride or die with, that you are going to cling to Jesus with, that you're going to say, hey, we're in this together. If I fall, you fall. If I, if I don't fall, you're not falling either. We're going to hold each other up. And you start to find all of these relationships that are built upon people. It's kind of become this American thing to withdraw more and more and more. It's like dirty people make us dirty, so I don't want to have anybody dirty around us. Or ruffled people ruffle us, so I don't ever want to get ruffled. And that's not Christianity. That may be pretty life, but that's not Christianity. Christianity says, you stink, so guess what? I'm going to stink a little bit too. You know why? Because we're in this together. Christianity says, you get in trouble a lot, so guess what? I'm going to get in trouble with you because we're in this together. Christianity says, this is so heavy, but it's a burden I want because people matter. You go at it by yourself, guess what? You're going to be a statistic in an article that comes out that says you're lonely. You start reading the Word of God, thinking about how much God loves you, being aware of all that God's doing in your life, how he's drawn you out of your hiding and shame and guilt, and he's allowed you to confess your sins and say, man, I'm not as great as you think I am. I'm not as perfect as you think I am. I'm in need of grace. I need forgiveness of my sins. And you start getting an identity in Christ like Philemon and like Onesimus and like Paul are showing us here where I don't really care what you think about me. I don't really care what you think about me. I got my identity in Christ You'll start looking around with that type of gospel perspective and saying, people matter. And God has placed a lot of people in your life. I hope there's some high school boys that 20 years from now, there'll be 38 preaching somewhere telling a story about their teacher saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. I hope there's some high school kids that 20 years from now will be remembering he expected so much from me and that's what made me who I am. I hope this church and I hope we people are so believing in the power of Jesus to change a life that we're trying to get involved in every life we can. A church that no longer understands that people matter will soon and very soon not have people. A person that no longer understands that people matter will soon be very lonely. But a believer who understands what Jesus has done for them will be open and looking and even reaching to have people in their lives. May God make us Christians that understand the value of people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the book of Philemon and for the random names listed at the end like Demas, Luke, Mark, Aristarchus, and Epaphras. Thank you, God, that those people matter to Paul and that they have a story. And Father, may that be the case for us. And may we continue to see Jesus changing lives of people. In your name we pray, amen.